All right, guys, welcome to episode 19 of the Friday Fraudster. Wow, we're getting up there. Right. The show is no longer a baby. It's like, I don't know, a toddler now? Well, no, we're a little, we're a little bit past that. We're preteen. Oh, I was going to say, we don't want to be in our like terrible threes. We just got through talking about that with Trent this morning. So hopefully we're like elementary or at least middle. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, so you know the drill. As you come into the room, you're at the Friday Froster Show. Episode number 19, drop the emoji into the chat that signifies the mood that you're in right now. I only ask you to do that because we care about you and your welfare. Doing the job that we do as auditors and fraud investigators and compliance folks, it's hard. So I just want to make sure that everyone is doing okay. And Heather says she's got some lunch now. Heather, I'm glad you got some lunch. I'm still hungry. But you know what, Heather? Get your popcorn, too, because we're in for an exciting time with some interesting stories today. Now, Joe's emoji is a cowboy hat, and you guys will see why a little bit later. Oh, boy. You will see why we have the cowboy hat on. And Malishka is here again, and she says, fun with the Friday fraudsters. All right, guys. It's Friday. We're talking about fraud. So... <clears throat> Before we dive right in, let me just say, we are on your favorite podcasting platforms, unless your favorite podcasting platform is Apple. <laughs> you can also get CPE credit for watching this show if you go to FridayFroster.com or 7, the number 7, $CPE.com, because our CPEs are really cheap, but that doesn't mean that we're cheap. The show is very good, and we, <laughs> we like doing the show. And so we thought that we'd offer you some reasonably priced CPEs. So FridayFroster.com or $7CPE.com, either way, we'll get you to it. Dan is here from Houston. He says, good afternoon from Smoking Houston, Texas. Joe has dropped that into the chat, $7CPE.com. Leslie is here. Leslie is all smiles today. Leslie, good to have you here. Hal is here. I'm just glad Leslie and Malishka and um, Heather aren't tired of us, Rob. They've seen a lot of us this week. They probably are tired of me. <laughs> so Hal says, no apple. That's right. No apple. No apple. And Mark says, hey there, Dan. Hello, everyone. Hope you are all well. Yes. Well, let me speak for myself. I'm well. Joe Kelly, how are you guys today? Awesome. I have so much fun planned for this afternoon. I went to coach you like, I don't know, seven years ago, and I met a guy and his wife. I met her like four years ago, and they're in Bend. And so I'm going to make an amazing dinner for them with some peach and blackberry trifle. And she and they're like the rock star couple. So I'm really excited for tonight. Now I'm even hungrier. Me too. <laughs> I'm not doing anything nearly that exciting, but I am excited for Friday Fraudster and the fact that this is my second to last meeting on a Friday. How about you guys? Almost <laughs> we've almost made it through the week. Woo! Well, you know, we've had a busy week. This week we had the Innovative Auditor Challenge, which was a five-day program, one hour each day, one new topic, one new presenter each day for $25, five hours of CPEs. 
it was a lot of fun. And we have a lot of people on the Friday Froster with us right now who attended the uh, Innovative Auditor Challenge. We're doing our next one. When are we doing our next one, Joe? October. I just put the link in the chat uh, or in the comments. It is October 25th through the 29th. So mark your calendars now. One hour at lunch. You guys can do it. It's so fun. And for those of you who have doubts about how fun it is, Leslie says, been a great week. Leslie was on the Innovative Auditor Challenge and she's here with us on the Friday Froster. So Leslie obviously is not tired of us. And Heather says, last meeting for today and then the weekend. And Joe again dropped the chat, the dropped in the chat the link to the Innovative Auditor Challenge. And again, Friday Froster is a podcast on your favorite podcasting platforms, unless your favorite podcasting platform is Apple. So let us dive right in to our first story. And that first story is titled, I'm here to unclaim that property. You'll see what we mean by that in just one moment. So let's talk about our guy from today and how he is a Florida man. <sighs> okay. A man faces 114 charges in alleged $2 million unclaimed property fraud scheme. He's actually out on bond right now. $178,000 bond. But let's talk about what unclaimed property is before we actually dive in, because not everyone is going to know what that is. So unclaimed property typically refers to intangible goods, you know, like cash, I'm sorry, uncashed checks, unused gift cards, abandoned bank accounts, stock, stocks, bonds, things like that. But it could also be things that are left in safe deposit boxes or unclaimed goods that people have. Well, the total amount of unclaimed property in the U.S. hit a high, which you'll see that the numbers are probably more than what I'm about to tell you, of $43 billion in 2013. Now, that was according to the National Association of Unclaimed Property Administrators. Now, here's the thing, you guys. If there's an association for it, that probably means that there's a lot of money in it. So, the National Association of Unclaimed Property Administrators has said that there are $43 billion in unclaimed property in 2013. That is insane. So now the concept of unclaimed property itself dates back to England, where abandoned property would typically revert back to the crown. So the queen got it all. If you died and didn't leave your stuff to anybody, the queen got it. Now here in the U.S., um, we each state has unclaimed property laws. These, these states and laws have garnered some criticism over the way they collect money. Now, while there is no limit, time limit for when you can reclaim property, many states know that only a small fraction of the things that they have in unclaimed property will actually be claimed. Uh, and states have taken the liberty to do some creative things with that money. So, for example, some states earmark that money for special programs, and some of them have gotten as bold as to transfer that money into their general fund, which means the states are using that money for operating expenses. Ooh, so that's pretty interesting. In this specific, well, another thing to mention about unclaimed property, if you have some property that you need to claim, you can claim it. You will not be charged for it and you will not be taxed for it either. It's your money. 
So let's talk about this particular case. The investigation was by the Florida Department of Financial Services, and it began in April of 2017 after, well, after an initial referral. You see, there was a financial institution that said that they received some documentation that seemed to be altered from someone claiming or wanting to claim some unclaimed property. So they referred it to the Department of Financial Services who began an investigation. And like I said earlier, what they found was, well, they, they are right now accusing this gentleman of making $2,036,122.68 worth of fraudulent claims between 2009 and 2020. All right. Kelly Joe, what do you guys think? What's going on here? So I had a friend reach out to me. This was a couple of years ago. And she's like, hey, I got this call stating that I might have some money. And but they want to charge me a fee. And I was like, oh, dear. Like, and she was she was good to be hesitant. And I said, give me like she had a nickname. So I said, give me your name and your mom's name. Her mom had died and she had kind of hidden some money from her ex-husband it was in a mutual fund and the address was like in Missouri. My friend got over $30,000 and no fee. I mean, she did take me out to lunch, but um, <laughs> so, but I could see how people would be skeptical. You get an email or something and they're like, oh my God, it's fishing or something like that. But I put in the chat um, a link for, you know, find money. I think it's good that people are skeptical but it's also, you know, we just need to um, uh, do it ourselves. Like, don't have someone do it for us. I found money for my dad, like in a, a utility thing that was like 300 bucks. He was like so excited. It's like, it's like the lottery. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, Kelly brought up a good point. Watch out for fraudsters when it comes to things like, or people just trying to take advantage of you and taking those finders fees and things, because it is something that if you're even slightly educated, you can do it yourself. Um, I love Dan's comment. Can you put that one back up, Rob? I've always been stunned at how many major corporations either don't know or haven't ever sheeted unclaimed property slash checks. So I was actually on the ground floor at my company that had life insurance on um, becoming a fiduciary and actually starting to search the social security death master files and do those sweeps to say, hey, who has passed away that hasn't claimed their life insurance? And so um, check that out, you guys, because that, that a few years ago was a big deal. And we did several audits in our audit shop to help our company get it right. Um, and what is their fiduciary responsibility uh, to be actually finding the people that have passed away, figuring out how to cut those checks? And, it, you know, if we can't, find those people to achieve that money to the state. And it was a huge, huge um, issue. And actually the regulators came in and dinged a lot of companies. And that was what, like five, I mean, I'm guessing five, seven years ago, it was a big, big story. So. Well, and, and the thing is a lot of these companies that call people, some of them are legitimate companies. You can get the money on behalf of someone else and then charge them a small fee. But there really is no need to do that because, like you said, 
every state has a way for you to do it yourself. For example, in Florida, their site is fltreasurehunt.gov. You can go in and type in your name and see if you have unclaimed property uh, that the state can actually, you know, give you if you prove that you are who you say you are. And uh, and by the way, Joe just used the term escheat. That's what it's called when you send the funds to the state. You're escheating those funds to the state, which brings up Hal, cheating yeah. the escheat system. <laughs> and Hal, are you on that Florida website right now trying to see if you have any money out there? You know he is. Well, <laughs> you know he is. Okay. But see, yeah. But Kelly, uh oh. But oh. Kelly brings up a really good point too. Oops. Did we lose you? Ooh, we might have lost Rob. <laughs> oh, I am back. There was a small blip there for a moment. I don't know what that was, but Kelly brings up a really good point. Tips find fraud. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, think of all the Nigerian sort of print scams and things like that. So people are hesitant if they get an email or something like that. Um, so, you know, and, and then think of all the people who don't have access to a computer or aren't good with a computer. Um, you know, it, and we tell everyone, don't click on those links. Well, some of the links are very legitimate. Um, so there's kind of, I think, a balance there between like, I'm going to say being greedy and, you know, something sounds too good to be true. If, if someone does reach out to you, go online and find literally unclaimed money and the name of your state. The other thing is like, I just looked up my son's name. He's got like 50 bucks coming to him. I don't know why. Like, <laughs> I have no idea why. It's probably for like some class action suit for some video game thing or something like that. Yeah. He did something at some point in time that, you know, gets him 50 bucks. Now, Hal says he's trying to collect his life insurance proceeds. <laughs> but also like go to places like, I've lived in Wisconsin. I've lived in Washington. So the states, and that's how my friend found it. She's like, you know, my mom did live in misery. I didn't mean to say misery, Missouri, um, for a while. And so that's how she found it was through Missouri. So do it for all your states you've lived in or that yeah. you, yeah. Right. Absolutely. So let, let's talk about what this this guy did or allegedly now, because uh, I think his, well, no, he's actually been, um, Indicted, I think. So anyway, what there's. Oh. oh, no. Oh, no. We lost. What, what he did was. he. Uh... Oh, you froze. You're back. Oh, oh, goodness. I don't know what's going on with my connection today, you guys. So so what he did was they, they're alleging that he had fake passports and he created some non-existent companies and he tried to deceive these large financial firms by sending them a bunch of paperwork, phony paperwork with identification information. And at one point he actually sent them fake power of attorney information to try and collect money from people. And then they're saying that he reportedly deposited checks received through the scheme into bank accounts tied to his many fake companies. That's according to an affidavit. Now investigators were able to track him down by looking through hundreds of emails sent between him and the various financial institutions, and they were able to track him, guess how again, his IP address. It was in Miami, and that's where they picked him up. Uh, data analytics, anybody? 
couple things we just talked about, bank accounts, IP addresses, uh, and the fact that you're communicating with the same person on email. You know, there's so many red flags on this with this guy, $2 million. And yes, he used different names and different bank accounts, but still he had to have overlapped some. There had to have been a correlation. Uh, can I go back and answer Mark's question really quickly? Mark had a great question. So those companies should be proactively making sure their policyholders are still alive. So that was the controversy. That's what regulators came in and said to life insurance companies. They said, yes, you have a responsibility to be doing social security death suites. That's what they call them. Now, what the problem was, you guys as you know, fraud savvy people are going to realize the immediate problem is now everybody can do a search for people who have died and start stealing identities and social security numbers. So states started locking down these social security death sweeps. So it wasn't as easy to do them. So there's some paid services that companies, life insurance companies can use to do them. So Last I was involved in this process, they are still supposed to do their diligence and do them for whatever states they can for social security death sweeps and look to see if there's any life insurance payments that need to be made. So yes, the answer is yes on that one. Yeah. Well, and what a lot of people don't realize is there's a lot of work to be done because each state has different laws and some states say that you are required to reach out to that person at their last known address that you have on file or that you can reasonably find. And if you can't find the last known address on that person, typically you have to send the funds to the state where your company is incorporated, which is why Delaware is kind of the, the, the king of uh, unclaimed property. So they have a, a lot of money in Delaware that is unclaimed property because a lot of companies are headquartered in Delaware. Yeah, and you're right. All the, the years for the different types of money, right? Like checks have to be sheeted after a certain amount of time. And I mean, the list, I mean, it's quite, my company had an unclaimed property department that focused on it and it had two staff. So, you know, to Mark's point, I bet a lot of these life insurance companies aren't doing that. Um, it's a great opportunity for auditors to come in and say, not only should we be doing this legally, but we should be doing this the right way. This is one of those where moments where we like to say, you know, even if it's legal, it may not be ethical type of scenario. There are some activities that these companies should be doing when it comes to unclaimed property that they're not. Um, and maybe not legally, maybe they're not legally mandated, but what is their duty to do that, to find the owner of this property? So it's kind of an interesting topic. Yeah, and Kelly just said she didn't realize Delaware. Got to go check Delaware. Yes, if there's a company that couldn't find you uh, and they were headquartered in Delaware, the checks are probably in Delaware. Uh, when I worked for Deloitte, I had a few projects with insurance companies, and these were some of the things that we were doing, and we were trying to use automation to get some of this done. So you're right, Joe. Yeah, the whole death sweeps and all that good stuff. It's it's real, and it's very it's a very strenuous process. Mm -hmm. Well, and it makes me think about like. So outsourcing it, you know, it's behavioral science is, it's kind of like, you know, a, a clothing company doesn't own the factory in China. And so they can kind of like, no, that's not us. And so if one of these insurance companies or whatever outsources it and they can't find the people, they're like, well, hey, that's not us. We outsourced it. So it, it 
relieves them? Well, I think this falls into one of my seven deadly ethical sins, which is deny and deflect, right? This is the deny any responsibility. The It's, the, it's deflected onto, it's your fault you didn't find your own money. And, you know, I love, Mark says, can you say ethics, Joe? That's right. I mean, this is an, this is more of an ethical responsibility, I think, of companies uh, to do this. So, uh, and yeah, Dan's comments, awesome. Yeah. Interest yeah. is not to pay claims, right? So they're trying to keep their money, but this is one place where regulators came in and said, no, you can't, you can't keep this money. This isn't your money. So. Yeah. And Dan is absolutely correct, but now Mark is bringing us a little bit more comic relief. He says, what did Delaware? A new jersey. What did Delaware? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it's Friday. Friday fraud humor. Delaware. I like yeah. it. And Pozo says she wonders if all these new fintech companies have controls in place for unclaimed funds. Now, Pozo, you bring up a very good point because let's go back to this case, because now here's where I get into my what? How? Really? <laughs> OK, so now let's talk about this. Join Florida's treasure hunt. You can go to Florida and type in your information. And after you type in the information, Florida will try to verify your ID to make sure that you are who you say you are before they send you any money. Now, they have a FAQ website, uh, FAQ on their website. And you guys may not be able to read this. So I'll just tell you some of it says that each claim form will detail what documentation will be required in order to verify your ownership in the property. Then it also says that providing your identification alone may not be sufficient. Then it said examples of unacceptable documentation include handwritten letters, letterhead and business cards, printouts from the Internet and telephone directories. So then it asked, well, what types of documentation are uh, acceptable? And it says a driver's license or some other form of government issued ID. So. For me, that kind of begs the question. This guy created some fake companies, used some fake ID, but they caught him because they were able to trace back um, his IP address from emails he had sent the bank. But also the funds had to be deposited in similar accounts as well, because, I mean, he couldn't have created enough fake bank accounts to do two million dollars worth of transactions. So state of Florida, are we not doing any kind of data analytics for the items that we send to people for unclaimed property? I mean, I, did I miss something here? Well, and then the thing about the documentation, I have had this where I have dead relatives who have like, you know, 50 bucks or under a hundred. And it's like, it's not worth it. Like, it's just, they make it so difficult for some things. It's like, I'm just not sending it in for, you know, if it says under 50, it literally might be two cents. I'm not going to get a, you know, death certificate, all that sort of stuff. They need to make it easier, but harder. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I'm, I'm still wondering how was he able and he did it from 2009 until 2020. And as Kelly always says, most fraud is caught by, based on tips. But how was he able to do it? for this long without anyone seeing some data that made them think, wait a minute, this guy has gotten, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in unclaimed funds over the years. That just doesn't seem right. Well, um, did you see what it said in one of the articles? It said it was an initial, uh, an initial referral was sent to investigators 
inserting a property claim that seemed to use altered proof documents. Yeah. And so that means, here's what the good news means to me. Somebody was doing their job and noticed that something looked fake. But on the kind of the other side, you know that most of these people are just pressing the button. Like if it looks like a driver's license, if it looks like a, you know, they're just doing their job as quickly as they can because they want it to be easy, right? Like Kelly, they want people to get their money. So they're probably good people doing a job quickly, trying to get people money that aren't looking at the documents close enough or aren't being trained. It all goes back to training and educating on what is a fake document look like? I mean, how much, that would be my question. How much is, are these governments training their employees to look out for this stuff, uh, to protect? And, and I love the one article that says there's two victims here. One, of course, they think is the government because this guy stole money from the government. Well, it's not really their money. It's these individuals money that aren't claiming it. So there's kind of two victims here is what they say uh, against this guy. But, you know, I think I've, I put this back on controls like training and t- showing people how to do their jobs to look for fraud. They need to hire Kelly. I don't know. But Joe, the government couldn't use this money for their general fund. So yeah, the government was a victim too. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> it's Florida House as training. What? I mean, it's not just I'm sure it's not just Florida House. It's it's everywhere, right? But it's, know, it's gotta be everywhere, yeah. Good for that employee or whoever it was that sent the referral to start looking at this stuff. Because what is it? Tips catch fraud, right? Kelly, the hashtag. Uh, I just just gave those ACFE statistics this week in a presentation. Um, Yeah. Anyway. All right. So our first story, unclaimed property, lack of controls in place. The guy was committing the fraud for several years from 2009 until 2020. Uh, over $2 million, a tip is what saved the day. So now, before we go on to our next story, what are you guys working on? What do we need to talk about here? Ooh. Uh, well, I'd like to plug Kelly and I's um, really fun in-person event that we're going to do a year from now. Yes, you heard that right. I wasn't going to post about it on LinkedIn until August 4th because it's next year, August 4th and 5th, uh, 2022. Go to fraudretreat.com and check it out. We are doing a live two-day event at the Gaylord Resort and Convention Center here in Denver, Colorado. And I know you guys want to plan a vacation. So early bird pricing is out there. Kelly and I would love to see you in person next summer. So we're going to start plugging that a lot on Friday Fraudster because it's going to be awesome. Kelly, do you have any other things you want to say about that? Um, Okay. We met in person at the Gaylord. The Gaylord is really nice. It's a great place for a, you know, an event like this, especially. Um, And uh, I am so excited. So I'm going to start plugging it. I can't believe it's only a year away because like last summer when we had to cancel, it's like, oh my God, that's so far away. But now here we are. So, um, yeah. And, uh, you're going to make connections that you wouldn't make this way. Like it, these are like deep long-term connections. So do it. (laughs) All right. And we just wrapped up the innovative auditor challenge. Uh, as I said earlier, I have some exciting news. I 
am going to be the opening keynote speaker at a conference coming up. I won't tell you what conference it is this week because I'm waiting on them to make the official announcement just in case they want to fire me before they actually hire me. Um, but it's an exciting conference and it's an exciting time for me because the speech won't be on auditing, right? It's a keynote speech. So that's fun. Coming up in the at the end of September. Also at the end of September, we'll start another cohort for the Ask Better Questions Bootcamp, which is nine weeks, 18 hours of CPE with me. It is a combination of some recorded training and some group coaching. And so far, people who are in it are saying good things about it. But we shall see what happens when they get to the end and they have to do some more exercises towards the end before they can get their certificates. But in all seriousness, exciting things coming up. I will be the keynote speaker, opening keynote speaker at a conference coming up. And the Ask Better Questions Bootcamp is just rolling right along. If you want to know more about it, go to my website or just email me, DM me. I'm always here. All right, guys, I think it is time to go to our next story, which is called The Gift You Gotta Give Back. <laughs> I see Kelly laughing. <laughs> All right, this one is, we're laughing, but this one is not funny. This one is really insane. And I know I say that about a lot of them, but this one is really insane. So what happened is a former Wyoming Catholic college CFO um, has been ordered by a federal judge to not make any financial transactions other than routine purchases. Now, why, you wanna know? Well, he was accused in a federal lawsuit filed in June of acquiring more than $115,000 in loans under false pretenses. Hmm. Well, here's what he did. The plaintiff in the case is uh, a firm called R Squared and they filed a lawsuit against him on June the 22nd. What he said, what, they, what they're saying is he pretended to be worth more than $750 million in order to get that loan. What he did was he forged some bank statements showing that he had a $750 million deposit. He sent that to the investment firm and then because of that said, since I have $750 million, you guys should give me a $15 million loan. And you know what? This investment firm actually did it. Okay, we'll just stop there for a moment and take that in. Joe, Kelly, what what do you guys what do you guys think before we even talk about what else he did? Great question, Kelly. I mean, that's what when I was reading through these articles, I'm like, wait, this guy's claiming to have 700 plus million dollars, but he wants a 15 million dollar loan. I'm guessing it you know, this hedge fund obviously thought that they wanted his money in their asset portfolio to start trading. And that's why they gave him the money, right? Like these are these relationships, these big money people have that us little people, I don't think understand. Maybe, I don't know. That's, that was one of my questions too. But, and by the way, this is uh, how, this is the Wyoming guy story, not a Florida man story. So we went, we went to the Wyoming guy. That's why I have my hat and my pink boots just for Kelly in the back. <laughs> Because you guys don't see my feet. So uh, anyway, <laughs> I want those pink boots. I'm wearing those pink boots to the Gaylord next year. There you go. You borrow my pink boots. Yeah. Well, you know what this reminds me of? I am listening on Audible, and I'm not an Audible person, to The Cult of We about Adam Newman and WeWork. 
and you guys know I hate victim shaming. Like I don't like victim shaming at all, but you know what? People who don't do due diligence, especially corporations, like, you know, the average mom and pop or something like that. I understand how it's hard to do due diligence, but when you have people like, you know, Goldman Sachs, Fidelity, R squared, not do due diligence. I'm sorry, cult of we, they all deserve to lose their money. You guys can argue about that, but like I'm listening to the cult of we and it's, has anyone listened to it? I mean, it just came out. It's, I'm going to make it an R-rated podcast. It's batshit crazy. Well, we're going to talk about it. Uh, well, we're Kelly and I are going to talk about it in our fraud and pop culture event at the Rocky Mountain Area Conference. By the way, plug for that event. That's going to be awesome in September. Um, it, but your Pozo brought it up. Where were the underwriters? Well, they were there looking at fake bank statements. Again, it was about altered documentation. We're not looking at the right thing. We're not looking for fake documents. We could go back to training, perhaps. Or they just wanted to believe this guy had the money and because they're greedy is that uh, one of the seven deadly sins greed yes yes it is absolutely all right so let, let's go back here now so we, this started off with kelly asking the best question in the world why did he need 15 million if he was worth 750 million and we can always count on hell for good comic relief r squared he did a regression analysis to get the 750 million and as Joe just said, Pozo said, where were the underwriters? So let's add a little bit more context to this. So yeah, he told them that he had $750 million coming and he told R squared that he was gonna invest that money with them. R squared said, great, we'll give you a $15 million loan. Now, this guy actually gave R squared the name of someone at his bank to verify that the $750 million was in the account. And he impersonated this guy at the bank. So R squared, Pozo, you asked about the underwriters. I would have thought that the underwriters would have looked up the name of the bank and independently verified that he had the money. But no, they used the name and phone number of the man that the fraudster gave them. And he then impersonated this individual. Now, R squared, first he asked R squared for a $10 million loan. Then he came back and asked for 15 million. R squared gave him the money. And then when the 750 million was supposed to hit the R squared account, it never hit. You gonna tell everybody what he did with the fifteen million, or is that? Oh yeah, we're getting there. I just, I just wanted to see if you guys had any more comments after that whole. So who's getting, who's gonna be held responsible at R squared? Like, I mean, well, yeah, great, great question. They're talking about. Well, we'll get to the college that he worked for before he was let go. Um, they talk about the college, they talk about him, but nobody really talks about the bank's responsibility in, in anything that we read about it. So good point, Kelly. Well, and you know, to, to, to piggyback off of Kelly's point, with the money and what he did with it, should other people be required to actually pay it back? I, I this mean, is where the lawyers, you know what? You know who's making money on this? Lawyers. Oh, absolutely. Maybe we should just escheat it to the state. 
Like Hal said, I mean, Hal said, can that 750 he made be Why not the 15 million? Let's just give it to the government. Oh, man. Oh, wow. Okay. 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 So, so let's, what were we going to talk about next? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Where he, yeah. What did he do with the 15 million, Robert? Tell okay. us. Okay. So with the $15 million, he gave about $5 million of it to friends and family members and things like that. With $10 million of it, this guy was the CFO at a university, at a college, right? He gave them an anonymous $10 million gift. So the university took the $10 million gift and they had already made plans for the money in their heads, right? This is what we're going to do with this money. And his friends and family had already used the money to pay off loans that they had and all kinds of other stuff like that. And they're saying, R squared is saying that they can account for all but 1 million of the 15 million. So they know where it all went except for 1 million, which he may have spent that on himself. But yeah, about 4 or so million went on friends and family and 10 million went as an anonymous donation to a university. So now you start to ask, well, why didn't the university do some due diligence on someone that gave them a lot of money? Because what happens is, and so you guys know, I spent 15 years in higher ed, right? What happens at the university, you can have anonymous donors and oftentimes they a lot of times they really aren't anonymous. They're anonymous to everyone except the administrators at the university, right? But this money just showed up in a university account and they said, oh, great. We're going to make plans on what to do with this money. Now, I would have been leery of money that just showed up in my account at a university. But okay. So um, the university is saying that it's not going to hurt them at all because they were trying to they were going to use the money for future plans, not to run current operations. But again, should they be required to give it back? That's the big question. Well, I don't know about that, but I loved all the comments about uh, the due diligence, like you said, that the universities needed to start doing. Because in my mind, there's some skepticism that they didn't know that he is where this money came from. Uh, you know, from everything I read, he was very well connect connected. You guys, I mean, Wyoming is not a big state. Uh, Sweetwater County, not a ton of people. I've lived there. I lived in Rock Springs, Wyoming for two years. I mean, these are all people very interconnected at the college. I think there was even one of the three articles, Kelly put another one in the chat, I put one of them, that kind of alluded to they weren't sure who else at the college was connected to all of this. Yep. So, you know, I think um, it's interesting. They said even typically the CFO, which was his role, would be the one responsible for doing due diligence. Yep. So, you know, really interesting. Like, do we need some controls, some backups in place? I don't know. This was kind of an interesting one uh, to me. Oh, yeah, his LinkedIn profile, Kelly just put on there. Um, you oh, guys yeah. got to click on it. Oh, you got to click on his link pro LinkedIn profile. And notice he started another company, Sweetwater Spirits. During all of this, uh, during the pandemic, he made, of course, hand sanitizer. Now, how many of you think he was going to be price gouging us all on hand sanitizer? He just seems like that kind of guy. Yep. Now, Pozo says, was he funding his own salary? Mark says he wanted his name on something. Agreed. Oh, boy. And, and and Dan says, if the check clears, 
uh, uh, Pozo says Robin Hood style fundraising. Yeah, uh, and Hal, put up Hal. Oh, yep. I mean, again, back to the Wyoming point, this was Wyoming Catholic College. So this is a small school in Wyoming. This isn't one of the big schools, a $10 million anonymous donation. And the school actually said it's the largest donation they'd ever gotten. Yeah. So there's questions behind this. Plus, they were already so planning for these future improvements, and they needed the money to do them. I mean, how many of you probably bet the CFO over-exaggerated, over-committed over to do these big things at the university, then realized he didn't have the money to do it? So this is him getting himself out of a situation. So just like any fraudster that's rationalizing their behavior, he's saying, I'm doing the right thing by, you know, uh, who said, yeah, Robin Hood. It's, we're, you know, kind of a Robin Hood mentality. He's doing good with the money. What is that called, Kelly, when you steal to give to a charity? Isn't that the name? The, oh, it's killing. Well, well, kind of the Robin Hood. Yeah. Right. Well, one of the things that I just looked up, and we're going to, I'll put a link to it, is ProPublica does the Form 990s. And I can't wait to see what their Form 990 looks at. I wish I would have thought of this beforehand. Oh, yeah, that is um, a good thought. And and even if they probably don't have something that, just going forward to see what shows in the Form 990. Now, Mark says, was the gift anonymous? Yes, Mark, the gift was, it definitely was anonymous. But again, they, they really aren't anonymous. You know, as a university, who it is. And like Hal said, they just don't want the public to know. So they give a gift anonymously and they, won't, they don't want the public to know typically. Now, I will say, you will find a lot of uh, people trying to use universities to commit money laundering. And I'll tell you, I'll give you just one example of what some people will do. So you get students who come in, international students who come in from out of the country and they'll say, well, my parents are gonna wire money to us. The bill is $10,000, the parents will wire in 50. And then they'll expect the university to give the student, you know, deposit the difference into the student's account. You have to watch out for that because a lot of times that's money laundering. Student, what student needs twenty, thirty thousand dollars to survive on for one semester or even you know a whole year, if everything else is taken care of? So there is a lot of money laundering attempts that happen uh, at our universities. So now, um, oh wow, what else did we miss besides his LinkedIn account? Because we're gonna go there next. Did we miss anything else in this? Well, so I just posted something, and it's in the National Catholic Register, and um, so. It's just about, I didn't know this word. You guys were learning a new word. Barataria is a medieval term no longer in use, which signifies fraud committed to obtain illicit gain to the detriment of one's community. And then Arbery explained in a recent column, the Tara fraud. So I'm going to have to find the Tara fraud and see what it, um, so the punitive form. Oh my God, this is just like, you know, it's okay. It's, is it funny? I, I was raised Catholic. It's a little funny. <laughs> I don't know. The tar of fraud. I got to Maybe that should be another new class. The tar of fraud. The asphalt <laughs> of fraud. The concrete of fraud. Like, oh my God. Fraud. Right. Oh, wait, this is too funny. I'm sorry. But the image of tar works another way as well, he added. Fraud is sticky stuff. 
even even being in proximity to it can tar someone with suspicion. We will do all we can to keep that from happening in our community. Oh my God, you guys, we have totally missed using tar in any of our classes. Like fraudtar.com. Oh. Okay, who's going to get that domain name quick? Fraudtar.com. I've got too many domains. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I couldn't help it. Wait, <clears throat> wait a minute. Before... Okay, wait, somebody else just go. I... I thought, I just put the third article. I think it might have been in the one I just posted. I can't remember now. There's three and they're all in this chain at one point or the other. So read these articles. Because the one Kelly was just reading from was pretty good. This is too good. Well, yeah. and, and you guys know how I feel about the the spinmeisters, the uh, um, marketing folks and PR folks at these places. So at one point they said, in one of the articles, they said the falsity and the great lengths Mr. McCook took to exact his plan became known only days after funding the loan. Regrettably, the vast majority of the funds have now been disseminated to various entities and individuals affiliated with Mr. McCowan, including his family members and his employer. Have you guys heard of the scamchannel.net? No. Okay, look at I just found scam channel oh scamchannel.com. Yeah, I did not know there was scamchannel.com. Now Mark says fraud tarred. I like the I Oh, man. Um, can we talk about one other thing from the article? I'm about to put it in the comments. This is a quote I want to talk about because, Robert, you'll take this one and run with it. You ready? Uh -oh. oh, hold on. Hold on one second. There we go. Okay. Okay. Father Anthony Stopel, however you say his name, who teaches a class on church management at St. Patrick's Seminary, emphasized the need for checks and balances to maintain complete transparency and flag potential issues. Oh, that sounds like an auditor um, control thing to talk about. And they're talking about in the way of anonymous donations here, by the way, I went back to that topic, but I thought that was a good, um, good quote. You know what I think is funny? There's this guy that you guys have heard me talk about before, Scott Galloway, NYU professor, he's on pivot. He has this thing that if you give a donation and you have a press release, you shouldn't get the tax deduction. And oh. I kind of think it's genius. Oh, yes. Because that actually like, makes sense. Yeah, all these tax deductions or all these donations with a press release is, you know, I mean, he says it and this would be R-rated, so I won't do it. Um, but like, really, do you have to, you give a press release for your big fat donation? I that is know. advertising. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's advertising, and that it's like, advertising. yeah. So, but in this gentleman's case, obviously, we think that he had the greed factor going on. But I still am convinced because it was anonymous, he didn't want the press release about it. Right? He was trying to cover up something he did at the college. So, like, my immediate gut reaction was, how did he steal from the college in some other way that he right. feels some guilt, and he is making this ten million dollar donation back to them? So. What if we continue following this case and it comes out that he's been stealing all along? That's exactly what yeah. I was thinking is he needed it to replace what he's done. 
Yeah. Yep. Or, you know, the, like I said, these big plans that he was making for the expansion of the college, you know, he knew that the university couldn't do that. So maybe it was a little ego driven. Um, but anyway, it, it just doesn't this blow your mind how people rationalize that they're going to get away with this. Yep. And who's expanding colleges right now during COVID? What? I mean, who's oh, expanding colleges right now during COVID? Like you, a small college like though. this? But a small college like this, like, you know, yeah, so, so, is that a red flag? Yeah. So let's dig a little deeper, though, because Joe brings up a very good point about. Um, wow, it just left me. Sorry, you guys. He's stealing. Um, oh, yeah. About how he could be stealing something, how he stole something and was trying to cover up. OK, typically when you get a donation that's this big, it is typically restricted. So in, in colleges, you have unrestricted donations and restricted donations, right? Usually when someone donates money of this significance, they want it to go towards a specific cause. And from what I can tell, this was unrestricted. So if it was unrestricted, and now here's, here's the theory. He had stolen money from somewhere else and he was gonna use this money to try and cover up something else that he's stolen. Because typically what someone would say is, I'm giving you $10 million. I want it to be anonymous, but I want it to be to help, you know, one-legged, one-eyed students in Alaska, right? And so they have a specific cause. But from what I can tell, this was an unrestricted donation that they could use to do however they saw fit. That doesn't make sense. And that's an anomaly that someone should have thought about in that environment as soon as they got the money. Yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah, I like Hal said this was a short-lived Ponzi scheme. Yeah, that's, I mean, exactly how did we think he was going to get away with this? Like, I just, it blows my mind. Okay, so guess how many students are at this school? I'm going to go with 6,000. I'm going to go less than that. 22,000 max. Um, 170, I think. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> we were yeah, away. Wait, where did I just see 170? I was like, literally, it's, yeah, I think it's. Uh, as of fall 2019, there were over 170 students enrolled. Let me see where it's. Y'all, um, I think Wyoming was small. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot of money for 170 students. Um, wow. Oh, oh my gosh. And the academic staff, there's only 19. Oh, okay. 185 students. <laughs> Look at these guesses in the chat. You guys were lower than us. And we're still way high. Wow. Love it. All right. So here's our man here. He's on LinkedIn. He went to Pepperdine University. He is the CFO and founder of Hoplin Labs. And, 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 wait, it gets better. It gets better. Sweetwater Spirits. So when you look up Sweetwater Spirits, that was a beer uh, I mean, you know, spirits, so beer and alcohol. And the lab was the uh, hand sanitizing company. So, and there he is, chief financial officer at Wyoming Catholic College from 2018. And then before that, he was the CFO at uh, Data Speed, which was in Rochester Hills, Michigan. And he was also on the city council when he was in Michigan. Oh my God, do you guys want to know how much he makes? How yeah. much? And um, this is 2019, 
and he gets an extra 10,000 and some other type of compensation. He literally, yeah. Oh my God. It's too funny. Not a big, not, I mean, just the, the dollar amount associated with this guy is crazy given. Yeah. You've got a CFO that's only making 80,000 to begin with. I mean, did, what is it? R squared? Is that the company? R squared. Yeah. Robert, I might be on board with the, they were so stupid to not do their due diligence. Sorry. That was really mean. Uh, do, yeah. Maybe the college should get to keep this $10 million bonus. I don't know. That's crazy. Crazy. Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah. you know, seriously, because, okay. If I'm R squared and I'm an underwriter, I would probably look up this guy's LinkedIn I would also probably ask him for some tax returns for 185 million. I wouldn't just trust that he won the lottery. And I don't know if that was his excuse. I would have been trying to figure out where it came from. Okay, look, you guys are hilarious. Heather says her high school graduating class had that many folks. And how do they have division one football team? <laughs> and Mark says they only have intercollegiate ping pong. Oh. oh my God. So also on the form, the form 990s are awesome. Um, all students, employees, and board members are covered by the conflict of interest policy. <laughs> if a potential conflict arises, it is reviewed by the cabinet and ultimately a decision is made by the president. Oh my God, you guys, I mean, if you're interested, you got to go to the form 990. It's just, but this well, wasn't a conflict, off, right? not very much stuff. This wasn't a conflict. He was actively uh, fundraising. So that's, yeah, it's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. Sorry, you guys, this is the this is a fun one. This is awesome. So Mark says not R squared, R tar. <laughs> and like tartar. And Hal says he got the money from Florida unclaimed property. But Hal uh, Mark also said they had three on three football. You know, I'll do you one further. They didn't have that kind of football, Mark. Remember the game where you would fold up the paper and kind of thump the paper when you were a kid? That football game on the table? Paper. That's what they had. Yeah, paper football. Paper football, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, you know, I... And I know, Joe, we don't blame the victims here. Talk to Kelly. Where is she? There she is. <laughs> and Kelly, yeah, we don't blame the victims here. But R-squared, I mean, I... $185 million? Now... I'm I'm really wondering um, what story he gave them because if he said the lotto, they could have easily gone to that state to see if there were any winners in that state's lotto because I'm sure it wasn't Wyoming lotto if that's the story he used. If it was a relative, I mean, there, there would be some way to actually prove it, but $185 million and he faked the bank statements. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we kind of came full full circle back here to the to the R squared. Yep. Yeah, R squared. Well, and, and and honestly, if this university, this college, only had 185 students, they're kind of a victim here too. Because let's face it, no matter what their press release said that this didn't affect their future, there's no way 185 students are propping up an entire university. So. They they were let down when they figured out that this money. Well, you know, everything I've seen hasn't said that they've given the money back yet. Yeah, this is really recent. I yeah. mean, this is like a July 2021, guys. So this one, they'll be. We could follow this story. I bet. 
Yeah, and, and Lolo, yeah, this guy has got me speechless. I mean, this this is this is like dumb one hundred and one, right? It's you know, it, not everyone thinks like auditors and and fraud investigators. I get that, but uh oh, Joe. Sorry, the finger <laughs> popped into my head that he gave money to five million dollars about that uh, that extra five, right? He gave it to his friends and family. Now, I don't know about you guys. It, it kind of reminds me of the Monopoly trailer where the guy says, if someone handed you a million dollars, of course you're going to take it unless you have to kill someone. And it's like that that comment made me thinking, you know, if somebody's giving me lots of money, I'm going to ask lots of questions. Where is where is everybody's ethical sense? Like, where, you know, people, it's gone out the window. And this is where I'm like, I'm on my soapbox. We got to get back to our ethics and our values. If somebody's handed you money, you better be questioning it. I'm sorry. But there was so many other little people involved in this. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so Mark brings up a good point. You tell me that the members of the administration didn't know bull. Here's one thing I will say, though, Mark. They may not have because in one article I read that the money just showed up in one of the university's accounts. Now, that could happen because this guy was the CFO. So he knew the routing and account numbers. So it could have just been one day you just come and it shows up in your account. So that, that is possible. But, you know, I'm with you. I think that's bull. But he didn't have some gut that something was going on. There you go. That's where I was going with it. Yeah. You had to have some kind of gut, even if you didn't outright know that this was fraudulent. You had to have, because uh, I would imagine most donations to that university, well, I would imagine their endowment right now, that that amount of money that they got is probably more than what their total endowment was. They probably doubled or quadrupled their endowment. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and by the way, they probably could have done a parking lot audit, Kelly, and found that all of his friends and family just got new cars. Wait, yep. We get all this money at the same time that his whole family and friends just look like they won the lottery. Oh, anyway. And you can tell he upgraded. He got a better tailor. The other picture of the story is like it's fitted where the when he was in Michigan, I'm sorry, he looked like a gangster. He looked like Tony Soprano. <laughs> like, I mean, his suit was so ill-fitting. And now he's got this really nice sort of French cut shirt. And oh, he and where in Wyoming, I okay, if our Wyoming people here. Are there really nice tailors in Wyoming? He's Wait, probably let's... flying to New York for his shirt. Look at that. That's that's Tony Soprano. Somebody just look up the population of Lander, Wyoming, where he lives, and that will answer your question, Kelly. And it's two o'clock, and we probably should end on that note. But anyway. <laughs> oh, goodness. It is two o'clock. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Uh, that, was a fun... <laughs> that was a fun hour. Um, you know what? Here's what's really interesting about this hour. This is probably the, the the least amount of time we actually spent talking directly about the cases and just kind of having a good time with it. Because these two were ridiculous, especially this last one. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for joining us. Yeah, your CPEs for just watching us have fun and having fun with us. Again, seven dollars CPE. Dot com. We'll see you guys next week.